the Mac Observers, Mac Geek Gab number 189 for Monday. Oh, no. Uh, January 26, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the podcast. It's Dave Hamilton. I'm here with John Braun. Hi, John. Oops. Yeah, I got stuck there. It happened. Didn't know where. Didn't know when I was. That's right. That's okay. You know, the cool thing is, it's not then now. (laughs) Just doesn't matter. It just doesn't. God came down from heaven above and pointed his finger at you and said, "You're the one." It doesn't matter. What? It just doesn't matter, right? For meatballs. For meatballs. Oh, Mm. or something. I I got to catch up on my classics. Yeah, yeah, you do. All right, so uh, we are here. It is Mac Geek Ab 189. And no, we don't necessarily quote strange movies uh, all the way through the show. We do answer your questions, share your tips, solve your problems. And every now and then we'll rant about stuff that drives us crazy. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything that drives you crazy, John? Or do well, you- I'm, I'm going to start right off here. Well, it's it's a, it's a recommendation and a rant. How about oh, that? Dude. All so, right. uh, anyways, I found this a couple of days ago. So, um, I don't know, but I, I find a lot of, you know, kind of uh, computer and math and science types uh, engineers. So, I tend, towards, tend to lean towards Monty Python and maybe other audiences as well. But I always seem to find a few Monty Python fans in, in the, the people that I interact with. Um, well, you know what they did? They just created a channel on YouTube because they were sick of people making poor quality copies of all their stuff and their movies and their skits and all that. So they, they said, you know what? We're going to do this properly. And you've noticed that uh, YouTube now is, is offering a lot of content in HD. You may have to click on something to explicitly do that. But they decided, you know, let's put high quality versions of our stuff out there. Um, and maybe it'll help, you know, sell more stuff. It's like, wow. That's really smart. Pe- people are starting to get it. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, God, I'm really I'm I'm impressed with them. That's great. And it's the classics too. I mean, yeah. you'll see the the yeah the, the you know Holy Grail and Life of Brian and you know a lot of their their uh, you know famous movies. Yeah. Huh. So, but, but awesome. it's a, it's a shake of the fist to the people that uh, you know Apple is soon going to be off that list. Um, but you know, it's a shake of the fist to the people that are still. I I heard I think it was some music service was it Microsoft or somebody was offering over in the UK. I'll I'll double check and see if there's an article about it. But it, it you know somebody wrote about it saying, "Oh, great, another DRM infested you know music app." And it's like you know, are you people gonna learn? Don't waste your time on this. Yeah, that's crazy. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, of course, they're not gonna offer everything for free, but they're offering you know enough to to tempt you, and it's of good quality. And to me, that's a good business model. I mean, you know, you look on iTunes, same thing. You'll see a lot of free stuff every now and then. Or, or you know, yeah. TiVo, you and I, Dave, they'll have free, like Amazon has free content to download, just enough to wet your whistle and, yeah. you know, give you a taste of it. And then maybe you'll buy something, maybe you won't. But Yep. Okay. That's yep. uh, that's all I got to say. So it's, uh, it's good stuff. That's good. That's excellent. Uh, I don't oh, think... Oh, go Yeah, yeah, yeah. One other thing. You know, what we're getting tomorrow. So we were, we were you know, hotly debating this. You know, there was a piece of software that was going to come out by the end of the month. That's right. And actually, when I looked at the shipping status on my iLife, uh, this morning, it said shipping February 2nd, arriving on the 3rd. And I'm like, well, that's not the end of January now, is it? No. But then I think we both got notifications. I, I didn't see mine until I got home. 
Uh, apparently, we're going to get it in uh, uh, tomorrow, I think. Or yeah. today, if you're listening to this now or, or later. It, depending on where you are, <clears throat> it could be today or maybe even yesterday. Right. So, uh, that's right. so that's great. And then we can figure out maybe... We really do stuff. muck with the space-time continuum with this thing here. You know, I mean, it really... Not really. It, okay, that's right. We don't go backwards. No. That'd be mucking with it. That would be... Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, then let's talk about uh, moving forward with the show. Brian writes in, and, and this was in response to us talking about uh, pulling Flash videos and other videos out of web links last week. Brian writes, I was just listening to episode 188. Just so you know, and maybe you can share this with your listeners, and we will. If you option double-click an item in Safari's activity window, it will force it to download. Last week I had said, uh, if you double-click on on something, if you pull up Safari's activity window to find the the hidden, or not hidden, but the the movie file that was pulled down as part of the web page, if you double-click it, oftentimes it will just open it in another browser window and won't allow you to download well, if you option double click it in that activity window, it will force a download. Brian says, I use this method to often to download FLV files from Flash movies embedded in web pages. Also, VLC, which is the video land player at videoland.org, will play nearly any video format out there, including FLV files. So that's uh, that's what Brian had to say. Excellent. And I think we got a lot of other tips. We'll uh, we'll. You know, roll these out as as the show progresses. Yeah, but uh, there there were a lot of options for uh, for snagging content. So uh, yeah, that was, that was one of the nicer, you know, yeah, straightforward ones. Yeah, uh, yeah. Alan uh, also acknowledged that, uh, and he says, in addition to uh, VLC being able to replay just about any codec, it also transcodes and lets you save the result to a file. Uh, so you could take. Uh, something and, and save it out to a file that perhaps you might be able to use on your, your iPod or, or just directly on your Mac inside iTunes. And then iSquint was the other piece of software that many of you mentioned, uh, though I don't think that's available anymore, or maybe, maybe it's not supported anymore, but you could find it out out there. Did you see this other thing that Alan wrote in, John, talking about the MPEG file you had copied to your TiVo that you couldn't fast forward or rewind? Yes, and uh, I think he nailed it. It, it um, I guess, that type of file, or I guess any MPEG video file, can yeah, contain it, very little data or can contain more data, and I think that's what he's suggesting. It, that's exactly right. Yeah, he got he got geeky on us, which is good, right? Because that's what we mm-hmm. do here. Uh, it says, uh, it may be related to the encoder used to create the file. It would seem it used B and P type frames without inserting any complete I frames. The difference is that an I frame holds complete information about the picture at a certain time, while the other two contain only update information, the differences between a previous frame and the current one. And I guess you need those I frames in order to fast forward or rewind to, to have a spot to start. Otherwise it does not know how to build the full frame because it, all it has is the Delta between the previous frame and this one. Mm-hmm. I suppose you could try to load each frame very quickly, but yeah, that'd be nuts. That'd mm-hmm. probably really bog it down. So oh, just yeah. let you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the TiVo doesn't have the processing horsepower to do that. It's wimpy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, all right. So uh, let's talk about Max a little bit again, because uh, Michael has an interesting question that I think 
is something both you and I have done. In fact, I know we've both done it mm. because we've done this together uh, up here at the house. Hey, John and Dave. It's Michael in New York, longtime listener. Um, I have a quick comment and then a quick question. Well, at least I'll try to keep them quick. First comment is uh, in the last podcast you were talking about how to look at an FLV file that somebody uh, downloaded from a website, um, and you were talking about the player, SWF FLV player or something. There's another thing you can do as well. Um, there's a program called Tube TV that is designed to pull uh, YouTube videos and turn them into something you can play on your computer. Uh, and they will also just translate a file that is already, an FLV file that is already on your computer. So if you've downloaded the FLV file, you can point uh, to Tube TV to it and say convert, and it will convert it into something you can play on your iPod or something you can play on Apple TV or just on your computer as, a, as an MPEG. Um, that's my comment. Thank you. My question is, I want to play streaming media on my Plasma TV um, from my MacBook. And I looked on the web, and I believe I've got it all figured out, but I just wanted to check with you guys because it's confusing, mostly about cables. I think I need, I have not the most recent MacBook. I have the previous version, so not the unibody, but the one just before it. And I think I need uh, the following things. I need a converter to go from mini DVI to DVI, and then DVI to HDMI, and then I plug the HDMI into my TV. Then I go into preferences and do mirroring, and it the, should show up on the screen, right? Am I getting that right before I go off and start buying cables and adapters? Um, that was what it seemed like, but it was confusing, my research. Um, and then, oh, and the other thing I, I just noticed someone was, uh, the New York Times was talking about uh, a, pro a program called Boxy, which apparently is once you've got it set up so that it'll play through your TV, you can then use Boxy to, I believe, make menus on the screen to go to Hulu and some other places that do streaming video. Um, anything you can help me with there? Um, uh, do I have all my ducks in place to watch Hulu or the HD content from ABC or CBS or NBC on my uh, flat screen TV. Thanks very much. I love the podcast. Uh, in case you need it here. Nope. We'll cut you off. All right. Uh, so we've got really three things to talk about. So first, John tube TV, Michael, thank you for the, the uh, recommendation. That's uh, that's good stuff to know about. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, so the second thing, John, his uh, connecting his MacBook to plasma, now, he had said going mini DV, uh, which is, you know, what's the, the mini port that's right there on his uh, on his MacBook Pro to DVI to HDMI. What do you think about that? Um, I think that if you want to do that, you're going to pay a little money. OK, because it's not going to happen immediately, because what you're missing, if we're talking DVI is DVI's video. And I think we've, we've done this, right? Right, right. So you're going to need, though it's you know not that bad, you run a separate audio, either dig digital audio or analog audio, because I think it handles both, to whatever you want to plug into. Now, I did find something. I It depends on how neat you want to be. The nice thing about HDMI is that it carries everything in one cable, which I think is, is, is a plus, keeps everything neat. Um, I found, who do we have here? Our buddies at 
Geffen, I think. Yeah, it was. It was Geffen. Okay. Uh, convert DVI and audio to HDMI. So they have a box that looks at retails for uh, 300 bucks. So, you know, it's... Uh, but but it claims to do this. You you give it um, DVI and uh, and audio, and it pumps out HDMI, and then you got a nice neat connection. So that's one way to go. I I don't see a problem with having two separate cables, though. No, especially when you can save a good chunk of that three hundred bucks, um, and you'd still need to buy some cables even to get you to that point. As Michael pointed out, uh, what I've done here, and I think most plasmas. Um, and LCD screens, any any flat screens these days, I think most of them have a VGA port on the back. And, yeah, I got one on. Yeah, on my Samsung. Yeah, and and I have one, and and that's how I connect to it. I have a a VGA cable, and and with that, for Michael, you don't need to go to DVI. You just go straight from the video port in your Mac. You get a you know a port to VGA connector, and then you plug mm-hmm. the VGA cable into your Mac and into the uh, TV. And that gets you video. Um, it, it will. The good part about this is the Mac sees it directly. So uh, you'll get whatever whatever the resolution that, that your TV will broadcast over VGA. You'll see on your Mac and it'll appear just as another monitor and, and all that. Mm-hmm. And then you can go full screen on that. And it works fine. Uh, Lisa and I have done it. We watched uh, CBS's InterVision, I think is what they call it. And we, and we watched some of that uh, recently from... I don't know if it was her machine or mine, but it didn't matter. You know, it streamed over the Internet just fine. As as you pointed out, John, that only deals with videos. So you either have to, well, a listen to the sound coming out of your laptop speakers, which is, you know, unacceptable Mm. if you're if you're doing that right. Uh, You could plug in headphones or you can connect Uh. via many different ways. Right. You can connect uh, what I usually do. And it's it's only because. It's the way I set it up the first time and I've still got the cables there is I just go stereo out from my Mac into my receiver and the, you know, the, the receiver that I have in the home entertainment system. And then I turn on the sound for that and, and it's fine. It's good enough. But if you have HD content and you have HD sound, you're I believe the MacBook supports this. And we're going to have to check tech specs while we're while we're doing this, John. But I know the MacBook Pro has digital audio out mm-hmm. and what that allows you to do is you have to get a special adapter. It's called a, a mini mini eighth to toss link adapter. Mm-hmm. I think is what it's called, John. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And you plug that in, believe it or not. And we've talked about this before the audio output jack on the MacBook pro and on the MacBook uh, is a digital audio out as well as analog. And if you plug in, yes one of these uh, adapters into it, it pushes in just a little further than a headphone jack would and opens the door. There's like a little tiny door in there that then allows the optical audio to come out and you can do 5.1 sound uh, if your receiver will support it. So I've got to try that one of these times because I have one Uh of those, those little mini toss link adapter things. So Uh, now there's another option, I think. Yeah. Um, well, a couple of things. So one VGA is analog. Not that should that should be a big deal because I think it's it's fine enough quality. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if uh, I mean, the other options are composite video or no, I'm sorry, component. Yeah. No, component is pretty good. Like I have that on my DVD player. I wouldn't go any lower than that. Like S S video or, no. you know, or yeah, 
component. No, composite. <laughs> no, like then you know there's yeah. there's someone that makes I think a wireless audio adapter. I think that stuff's kind of coming out. Oh yeah, that's right. You know what? I'll uh, uh, yeah. Speaking kind it, of of that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it 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 just so happens that that that's our uh, our sponsor for the show is is Audio Engine, and I'll uh, I'll do that when we finish here. We weren't going to talk about their audio adapter today, but they've got something else. Um, but they do have that as well. The uh, the W one, I believe, yes. is what they call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So it sounds like that solved the problem too, rather than running a cable. Yeah, yeah, you still got to run some cables with anything. I mean, it's oh, it's yeah. got to come out of your Mac somehow, right? So with that, you're going, I think, audio, just, you know, mini eight or USB out. That's right. It's USB out. And then on the other end, there's a dongle that hangs off your stereo somewhere. And uh, and then that connects, you know, with RCA jacks or, or however you want to get to it. So, yeah, yep. that's interesting. And actually, the, the guys that I mentioned before... Were they showing this at Macworld? I think it was Kevin. I'll have to look through my files here. Okay. There are people that are making wireless HDMI extenders. So uh, really? Eh. really? So we may see an age where your Mac is going to be blasting the video via a wireless signal. It says Belkin, but of course, you didn't see that at Macworld Expo because they weren't there. Right. Right. But no, there was at least one company on the floor, and oh. I, I can't find it immediately. But there was someone that, yeah, they had. A, a, it's in one of my picture galleries. But it's, okay. um, yeah, it's basically just a wireless receiver hooked up to uh, hooked up to a you know flat screen TV. Huh. So uh, you know, but that's that's the heavy lifting. I mean, you know, uh, video. You know, we're talking much larger bandwidth. But but I oh, think yeah. we may see it. Yeah. Interesting. 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 A little too yeah. early though. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, for for Michael, I, I wouldn't. I would just go VGA. It's so much simpler and cheaper. You're going to need to buy a VGA cable um, unless you happen to have one. Um, I I just so happened. Well, I got. It's not just so happened. I've got box. My attic here next to the studio is just littered with uh, with all sorts of cables and connectors and stuff. I, I've got ADB connectors. I've got the old phone net connectors. I got to go through that stuff and throw some of it away someday. It's cold out there now, though. Plus, I'm doing the podcast, so I shouldn't do it now, right? You don't. Mm. You don't want to wait for me to clean through all that stuff, do you, John? <laughs> no, actually, I see. Um, Sony seems to have something. <clears throat> I'm oh. sure there are other companies. Huh. Cool. All right. Well, since you uh, since you brought it up, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and uh, and talk about our sponsor for the show, which is Audio Engine, AudioEngineUSA.com. And I wanted to talk about their W2 today, which is a, a new thing that they've come out with. It is wireless audio, but this is specific for any iPod or iPhone with a dock connector. Uh, it hangs off the bottom of the iPod uh, or iPhone. And uh, then there's another dongle that plugs into the uh, stereo and you can play uh, your music right through it. The cool thing is it just plugs in. There's no software or, or anything to do that. And, you know, they, they call it the dockless dock because it essentially docks it, but you don't have to dock it. And then the cool part is once you've got it connected, you've got an awesome remote control in your hands because that's what you're using your iPod or iPhone for. Of course, it's not really a remote control. It's the remote audio source. But uh, but, you know, you've got your full cover flow and everything is right there uh, in front of you. Uh, it uses uncompressed CD quality transmission. So you're, it's 
certainly if you've got audio files on your on your iPhone, they're going to be compressed once, either MP3 or or M4A. Some people might have Apple lossless on there, but that gets really big really fast. So chances are you're playing compressed audio. Well, this isn't compressing it again just to send it wirelessly. It is sending uncompressed CD quality. There's no network setup, no software, uh, all digital stream, closed network, really cool error correction and low latency. And, uh, and of course, like everything that Audio Engine offers, John, they offer a 30-day preview and you can send it back for any reason if if you don't like it. They they call it a free audition. So thirty days of purchase, and you can send it back. And then I think a three year guarantee. So uh, it's one hundred sixty nine bucks for the whole package, which is the piece that plugs into your iPhone or iPod, and then the piece that plugs into your stereo. And that's the Audio Engine W two at AudioEngineUSA.com. dot com. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty cool. It is cool. Those guys are they're always kind of working on cool things. If you go to uh, Expo, you know, their their booth is always a cool thing to check out because they always, you know, they love talking about this stuff. So anyway, AudioEngineUSA.com. Moving on to Thomas, John. Yes. Yeah. All right. This is where it gets interesting, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thomas writes. Oh, I got to get down to what Thomas wrote. I recently switched to Mac because basically because basically Windows was uh, uh, he was upset with Windows. He bought a Mac. I have set up printer sharing via the Mac over my Wi-Fi network so I can print from my old Windows laptop, which I use for taking notes in university. The printer sharing always works and I never have any problems with it. One thing I can't seem to work out is file sharing. I would like to be able to share files from my Windows laptop to my Mac without having to put them on a USB pen drive and transfer them or printing them to or printing the files directly. My Windows laptop is running the latest Vista and my Mac is on 10.5.6. Could you point me in the right direction? File sharing is switched on on both computers and I can see the iMac in my Windows network folder. But when I click it, it shows me my laser printer, but no shared folders. Please help. Okay. Mm. Yeah, so you know, I I I started thinking about this, John, and I I realized just because file sharing is on on the Mac doesn't mean that file sharing for Windows is enabled. Now, in Tiger, which is 10.4, uh-huh. there was a separate if you went into system preferences and sharing, there was an option for enable Windows sharing, right? And that's mm-hmm. still there if you're running Tiger. But he's running Leopard 10.5. Yep, and they just had to go and change it, didn't they? They and make it worse, in my opinion. I I agree. Yeah. (laughs) Well, they made it. They consolidated it, where it's all under file sharing, but but you have to go about it in just the right order, and you got to hold your mouth just right while you do it. So, you go into uh, system preferences and sharing, and first you need to ensure that file sharing is enabled, which Mm -hmm. it sounds like uh, Thomas has done. And then you have to add any of the folders that you want shared and then also make sure you add users to those folders. And there's that little interface down in the in the lower right. Once you enable file sharing that comes up, once you have that set, then you click on options. You check share files and folders using SMB, which is the protocol that Windows uses. And then enable it. Then you have to, even after you've enabled SMB, you have to then go and enable SMB for the specific user account that can act, can attach to the specific share that you want it to see. Mm-hmm. 
And it's because SMB is less secure than than AFP in Apple's mind, and I think most people's minds. Uh, mm-hmm. So so they force you to kind of go through this rigmarole to to enable everything, and then that should do it. I I think uh, unless there's you know firewalls or something running that are getting in the way. Um, but of course Apple should be setting that you know up properly, or that they should be opening up. That's and I true. guess you could and I guess you could go to well actually no the firewall really doesn't show you much anymore does it no not even close no so yeah never mind about that <laughs> but um but no one thing that you do bring up which is good here let me go back to sharing or I just want to mention yeah so shared folders there's a list and what you'll see at the bottom left is a plus and a minus that's how you get extra ones there or I would imagine I wonder if you could just drag a folder over there. Wouldn't that be great? I'm gonna, oh, I'm can you do that? that? I'm going to try that. Nope. Okay. Or at least that one didn't work. So you got to <laughs> hit the plus key and then go and navigate and do it. Yeah, it doesn't seem to like you doing drag and drop. Oh, well. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. I don't like that options button there because I think there's the potential for things to be set up not the way you expect. So. Yeah, well, even and and we had talked about this answering another question recently, and that's the only reason I knew to even hit the options button. It's just not it's just not intuitive. You know, it it should be right there on the front screen. I mean, you'd think. there's. Um, Yes. Yeah. Do you think there's enough people doing window sharing that that this shouldn't be buried that deep? Especially when it wasn't before. Go ahead. Right. No, I verified here. You can drag folders over. I was, I was trying to drag uh, some aliases, I think, over. Uh-huh. So you drag a folder in that little window, and yeah, it'll it'll add that folder. Cool. As uh, one of the ones you can potentially share, which which should show up. They should all show up um, when you try to connect to that machine. Right, right, right. Okay. Huh. Huh. All right. Uh, now, the window sharing, you know, I've seen that, too. You may want to... Well, no, is he, is he able to go in that direction? Because I've had cases especially in the workplace where I had to turn off the windows firewall in order to get to file sharing on a windows machine from either another, another windows machine or a Mac. Sometimes I've seen that with the windows firewall with the windows sharing, it's ridiculous. And, and to be fair, oftentimes third party uh, virus protection can get in the way, you know, it'll set up some profile that that'll work with one network address and then you change routers and then it doesn't work with, you know, the new subnet that's created or whatever. It, it, it can be a real mess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, 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 you're right. I've, in fact, I've had some windows machines that I cannot connect to from a Mac. Even if I turn off the firewall and everything, it's like, yeah, it doesn't want to mm-hmm. do it. Forget it. Throw it or I, I throw in the talent, try FTP sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. We can do that. And and if you want to turn on FTP on the Mac, you have to do that in the same little options part. Right. Uh, the cool thing is you can also turn off AFP, the Apple protocol. So if you're only going to be using SMB, you can plug that particular hole, you know, plug the, the AFP hole if you're not going to use it. Mm-hmm. Is it time to uh, to move on? Yes. Uh, JR? It is time for JR. I, uh, I'm wondering if I should have some water before I read this uh, this issue here. Are we ready? Yes, you had your water? Right. Good. I did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, JR says that he's English, so we have to pronounce uh, one specific word a certain way. So uh, 
He says, I have a Mac Pro, which is connected via a cable to my Linksys wireless router, model WRT350N. In my Mac Pro, I have two one terabyte hard drives, one which is the main system drive, and the other is used just for a time machine backup. All works well. I've just bought a MacBook, and I want to use the time machine drive, which is in my Mac Pro, to back up my MacBook. I think this should be possible. It is. Or it should be, anyway. My Mac Pro is configured for DHCP with manual address because I NAT some things through the router to the Mac, so I need the address to be the same. I'm quite happy for the DNS settings to be passed out from the router. Router, sorry. Router. Yeah, you got it. Uh, The MacBook is set to DHCP. When I connect the MacBook to the same router, I'm just going to say router because it's easier for me. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, JR. Uh, When I connect the MacBook to the same router with a cable, I don't see either machine under the shared section in the sidebar in the finder. On both machines, I open system preferences, click on sharing, and then check file sharing, just like we talked about in the previous question. The computers show file sharing on, but there's nothing showing in the shared folder list below. On the Mac Pro, I immediately see my MacBook appear in the Finder under Shared, but the MacBook does not see the Mac Pro. If I click on the MacBook, it sits connecting for a while and then appears with a Connected as Guest. If I click Connect as, after a few seconds, I get a box to put in my username and password, and then it connects and shows me my home directory and the hard drive. I can drill into both directories and see the files. I have the same username and password on each machine, so when it asks me, I put my credentials in. However, on the MacBook, I still can't see the Mac Pro. If I now enable the airport in the MacBook after a few seconds, the Mac Pro appears in the finder of the MacBook and I can go through the same procedure as above. If I now unplug the network cable from the MacBook, I can no longer browse the directories of each machine from the other one unless I disconnect and use connect as again. It seems as though there's a routing problem somewhere, but I don't know enough about Macs to know whether it's an issue with the computers themselves or with the router. I do know that I've been able to file share and connect PCs all together, both wirelessly and are wired running Windows, so I suspect it's an OS ten thing somewhere. Neither Mac has the firewall enabled, which is drats, because that's what I was thinking as I first read this, John. Mm. The, the Mac Pro has little snitch installed, but I've tried this with it totally disabled, and it makes no difference. I've repaired permissions and run Onyx on both computers. Ideally, I want my MacBook to see and connect to the Mac Pro automatically whenever it's turned on at home, whether it's connected to the network either wirelessly or wired, and to be able to access the Mac Pro internal hard drive so it can run a time machine backup. Is this possible? Okay, so first and foremost, John, is it possible to back up to a time machine drive that's connected to another Mac? And the answer, as you and I proved uh, before we recorded the show, is yes, but... You have to do um, the hokey pokey or the, uh, I don't know, the, you know, (laughs) you got to take very specific steps to make sure you follow them all. Otherwise, you you will not be able to do that. Right. And and which is initially what I ran across because I tried something very quickly and I'm like, "Eh, it doesn't show up. Right. But that's because I didn't do the right thing. So you have to, yeah, very carefully. And then it sounds like we have another problem where drives are not always appearing in a network browser when they should that's like a secondary problem here i think that's i think that's his problem here because this is interesting yeah if he so so in order to to finish that first train of thought in order to connect to a time machine drive on another computer you have to first at least initially uh you have to connect to that machine using using file sharing then once that happens boom it it you know, it should show up and, and well, not so much the machine, but 
the dr- yeah the drive yeah. yeah i initially just mounted the machine and the shares were uh, were visible but i didn't actually engage the uh so i call it on on my machine the one terabyte monster is the name of the drive because it's a one terabyte monster sure though even now that's not that impressive now they're up to what one and a half yeah, that's right. But it, but it, it, if I didn't specific, so just the fact that the machine with that drive being shared was there, it didn't list it in the uh, time machine list of drives. I had to explicitly mount the drive. So I just want to be clear okay. on that one caveat because my expectation is that if, if the machine was connected, it may have seen it. Maybe that's an unreasonable expectation. What do you yeah. think? I, yeah, that, I would have expected that as well. Huh. But once it was mounted, then yeah, it showed up as, as, uh, as you promised. Yeah, because um, I really haven't tried that because I, I really back up my portable to well, I usually don't leave my desktop on. So where right. the time capsule is always right. on. So I right. yeah, so I back up the, you know, the, the uh, G5 to the drive inside of there. But it's a big enough drive. And, you know, I suppose I could leave the machine on. But yep. OK, uh, but so his issue is he can't get the drive mounted, at least not reliably. Hmm. I I think. It's very strange because he said if he turns on airport on the MacBook, then he sees the drive. But if he connects to it and then disconnects the cable, it goes away, which is very odd. Hmm. Yeah. So so there's something going on with his Mac. The the first thing I would check is um, and I'm not sure this is going to solve it, but this may at least make it more predictable is I would go into the uh, network system preference pane and I would make sure that what you want to do is you want to make sure that ethernet is prioritized over the airport connection. And the way that the way that you do that in leopard is you click on the little widget at the bottom of the uh, network list, which is on the left hand side of the network preference pane and choose set service order. And then you drag things up and I would put built in Ethernet right at the top, followed by airport that that should at least make it consistent, if nothing else. Oh, um, look at that. Hmm. Yeah. And, and that way, that's how you set which, you know, which takes precedence. If they're both active, which one wins? And uh, and and that's the that's the way you do that. I would also make sure that if you're using DHCP on both, that your network settings are consistent across uh, across all of them, you can, and, and I don't know that this would help, but it certainly wouldn't hurt because I, I, I do it on my MacBook pro, which is the machine I use in the office. I have actually set a manual IP address on both ethernet and airport. And here's the rub. I've set it to the same IP address. Hmm. Yeah. And the cool thing is I can have a transfer going downloading to my Mac Make sure airport's on, unplug the Ethernet cable, and watch the transfer move from my Ethernet connection to the airport connection. Hmm. With it, it there's a pause, but there's no, it doesn't break the connection. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's TCPIP doing what it was designed to. You got it. Kind of pick it up. You got as it. As long as, yeah, especially using the same address. Yeah. Different address. I don't it, know if. Oh, you'd have to restart the connection. Elegantly. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. Yeah. So, you know what you brought up really gets me because I, I seem to remember a point in time where you could just drag the interfaces in the uh, network control panel and yeah. it would set the priority. 
now it's like a separate step. And no, it's always makes... it's always been a separate step because they huh. they move around in the control panel to show you which one is at the top. Right, right. Um, but but yeah, it was in a different spot before. I think it was in edit locations or something. Okay, okay. Yeah, it wasn't where it wasn't where I just found it here in Leopard. But yeah. Oh, and the other thing, I think on all the machines in question, you should make sure. Well, we you know just to reiterate this, but uh, when you do the file sharing and options, I would make sure that the settings are, I would say the same, at least for all the machines involved, probably make sure AFP is on, on all the machines. Right. Cause I think right. that's typically how you browse network resources is, uh, well, yeah. any of the protocols, SMB shows up as well, but yeah, just make sure you're talking the same, same language. So that, that, and that's the other, that, that's the other thing for some reason. Uh, it, it seems like it's not broadcasting over one interface, but is broadcasting over another, uh, what I would do is go into the finder, go to the go menu, go to connect to server, and then in here, type in AFP colon slash slash, and then the internal IP address of the Mac Pro. That should bring it up. Uh, and I would try this when you're not seeing it appear in the shared section of the uh, finder windows. Mm-hmm. If you can get on the internet with your machine, you should be able to to see this. Um, and that that would be my that would be my guess. So, mm-hmm. and uh, you may want to make it a favorite if you uh, yeah. connect to it reliably. Yeah, by hitting the uh, plus button right there, right? Yeah, and I think as we mentioned before, you can put a lot of things in there. It's kind of like a URL. Uh, well, I guess it is a URL, it is right? A, most definitely, yeah. So AFP colon slash slash. You could do FTP colon slash slash SMB colon slash slash. Yep. I'm not sure what else you could do. Maybe HTTP uh, for like a web dev device or something. Yeah. I don't know. Because web dev devices like iDIS and all that are basically HTTP connections underneath it all. Yeah, that's I right. I wonder if that would work. That's You'd right. have to get the right URL though. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would just try connecting directly and then, and then, as John said, save it as a favorite, and then you should be good to go from there. Or you can make, I think you can, yeah, you can make a shortcut on the desktop. One, yeah, just one click on that. Once you've got the drive mounted. Yeah. Yep, that's right. That's right. All right. Hopefully, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one of those things will work. Yeah. If it doesn't, let, it, let us know, and, and let us know what does happen, because th- th- these are the kind of things that are curious. And, of course, if, uh, if any of the rest of you have any thoughts for JR here, please send them in. We'll either send them to JR directly uh, or if it's, uh, you know, the kind of thing that would be appropriate to, to mention on the show that might help other people, then we'll certainly mention it here too. Uh, is it time to go on to Jeff, John? Indeed. All right. Jeff writes, and I say that I can't tell you at all what Jeff writes because I don't have his email in front of me, uh, but I'll, I'll get there. Mm-hmm. So uh, Jeff writes, as a relatively recent convert to Mac, I am enjoying your podcast. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. We always appreciate those comments. Uh, unfortunately, six months or so after getting my first ever iMac 2.4 gigahertz Intel Core 2 Duo, which I love, it developed a fault, which was repaired by Apple. Upon return to me, I found out that the video card and cable had failed, but during diagnosis, the logic board had also been replaced. This left me with two problems. One, the serial number now reports as system SAL number. I believe this is because the engineer did not re-enter the iMac serial number into the new logic board. That is correct. When you get a new logic board, the Apple engineer has to kind of program it 
with its serial number. He asked if I foresee any problems with that. I, I don't know, John. I, I would I would mention it the next time I bring it in for service, but I wouldn't go nuts about it. Uh, I mean, it's Apple Care, so it it there is a record that oh. this machine was repaired. The serial numbers on the outside of it, it you're not going to have a problem. Yeah, I I would still just because I'm wondering if there's a piece of software out there that looks at that field, and if it's in an unexpected format, it gets all upset. I know. I mean, because I've seen it or heard heard legends of the magic program that burns the serial number it's not available to the to, you, to know, you and me the, the masses that's right well it, it kind of is but not right you know, officially not officially <laughs> right that's that's all i can say that's right <laughs> okay so yeah i wouldn't go nuts about it but the next time i bring it in i I'd definitely mention it and see if they'll fix that up for you number two time machine would now not recognize any of the backups it had made on my external usb drive Although I could see and access all the backup files on the drive in the finder, I contacted AppleCare and they said this was because the logic board had a different Mac address, MAC, Media Access Control address, and that Time Machine uses, used the Mac address as a way of identifying each Mac, M, capital M, lower AC, it backed up. I was told the only way around this was to copy all the files from the USB drive onto my iMac and then do a time machine backup, effectively recreating a type of recovery. But obviously, I would still have to find and access any files I wanted using the finder. In the end, I decided uh, to start time machine from scratch again. This started a new occurrence of backup on the USB drive. And after a few months, I deleted the old inaccessible version. It seems to me this is a major flaw in time machine or is it? All right, let, let's let's talk about this, John, because um, why are they doing this? I know exactly why, or I suspect I know why. My guess is you're right. You're a smart guy. What, why? Usually. Yeah. Well, here's what happens. So a lot of times with a lot of computing tasks, you want to make really sure that, or a lot of times you may want to uniquely identify a, a file or a resource or whatever. And a lot of times you'll create something called a GUID or whatever. Here's the point. What you don't want to happen, for various reasons, I think, is for someone to come along with a machine with the same name and to try to do something. And if you only base an operation on the name of the machine, you could have big, big problems. So say I had two machines, and I wouldn't imagine why you'd want to do this anyways, but if the backup... Uh, time machine doesn't have any other way to distinguish the machine or the the source of the backup then things could get confused awful quickly and what's one way to do that a mac address which is all the access control which is almost uh, unique. for the most part unique well it should be unique to every piece of network hardware in the world unless you change it or they forget to burn it onto a right. machine Right. Well, no, actually, it probably did have a different MAC address, the, oh, no, but the, the machine name is different, or the serial, right. yeah, the serial, the serial number. Yeah, the serial, the serial number needs different. to be burned. The MAC address is, is built into the to network hardware, although I'm pretty sure there's a, 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 there's a command line utility that will let you change the MAC address of... Uh, yeah, we touched on that. I think Mac actually IF config can do that. Yeah, exactly. On a temporary exactly. basis. Yeah, maybe it is only temporary. You know, that could have been a way to solve this. Huh. So the, but, but again, the intent is to, to make sure that it, they want, somebody wants to try as hard as possible to make sure the two machines are the same name, but different content 
don't get confused. And and again, one way to do that is by further distinguishing the machine by the MAC address. Right. Uh, so so I don't know, think it's a flaw. It's just how they how implement it, it which I think is a works. good thing. Yeah. Otherwise, your, your backups could, could get all horribly corrupted. But Apple should offer a way of saying, okay, look, this, you know, because this happens. This happened to me when I had a logic board replaced. I, I, I agree. Know, I know what happens to other people. They should offer a way of saying, okay, look, point at a certain backup and, and claim it. And, you know, put up all kinds of warnings if you want, saying only do this if you really are sure, because my goodness, you could really kind of confuse the heck out of things. But, you know, and then just have it take that back up and reassign its MAC address. Apple doesn't, or at least to our knowledge, uh, have any utility like that. They certainly don't provide one publicly. But I did find a link at Mac OS 10 Hints that talks about exactly how to change this. It requires a little bit of work at the terminal. It's not perfect, but... Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, it works. So um, we'll we'll post that link in the show notes, and and you know, hopefully for those of you that need it, uh, you probably don't need it right away. And uh, but you know, you'll remember it, and then search either search our show notes or search Macos Ten Hints or or whatever. So, uh, yeah. All right. So. We're we're at the forty five minute mark here, John. You're you're skyping me all kinds of things. Should we do Steve or Jacob next? Jacob. Okay. Jacob needs to talking to. Okay. <laughs> uh, alrighty. Uh, Jacob writes. I was wondering if you had any idea what was wrong with my internet setup. Do you know, John? Oh, we got to go a little oh, further. Yeah, okay, here. Right, oh, yeah. <laughs> my my issue being that the speeds vary greatly and tend to be very slow. My current setup is a Turbo G Buffalo wireless router connected to my cable internet and phone box. I run the only Mac in the house. We also have an iPhone, iPod Touch, PSP, PS3, Windows laptop, Kindle, and a Windows desktop pulling on our Wi-Fi. We then have an Xbox and a desktop plugged directly into the router. We rarely run more than five of these simultaneously. I was wondering if you thought it was our router, and if so, what would you recommend? Well, for, first of all, uh, I will say as a Kindle owner that I thought it was a Wi-Fi device until I got it and then realized it's not. So the Kindle is not pulling on this. That actually uses Sprint's EVDO right. network. Uh, but that aside, that is a lot of devices. But but again, like you say, you know, with the Mac, I mean, the iPhone, and the iPod Touch aren't talking on the network all the time only when you mm -hmm. tell them to and the same is true for the playstation portable and the ps3 and you know maybe the windows lap laptop and windows desktop are pulling on the wi-fi so maybe you've got three or four devices simultaneously pulling on the wi-fi that could slow things down now you know the one thing i notice is you've got a lot of windows machines out there mm -hmm. It's possible that one of these Windows machines has a virus on it that's, you know, sending out email or doing something. Uh, but but, you know, either way, even if they are totally clean and you can guarantee that they are, I, you know, I always say let's honor the troubleshooting process and turn everything else off except your Mac. Yes. Right? And see now if at that point it's still slow. All right. Well, now let's plug your Mac in. Right. And hello. Yeah, go ahead. Hi, John. Are you still with me here? 
Maybe John left. All right, we've got John back. Little internet Skype hiccup. So hopefully I'm back. But I think I know where we were at. And here's the suggestion I would make for this uh, scenario here. Yeah. Well, slow to me, the word makes me uncomfortable because it's kind of subjective. Once you have your Mac as the only machine connected, run something like I think the one you you and I like uh, sometimes is speakeasy as one, pick a location close to you, get a bandwidth measurement. That is your stake in the ground. That is your benchmark. Then you can start talking fast and slow. Ah. Services like that will tell you if your connection is a relative dog and like if it's in the totally wrong class, if you're getting modem speeds and you have a cable modem, well, then your connection sucks. Yeah, yeah. I, I like speedtest.net, but you're absolutely yeah. right. In, in terms of honoring the troubleshooting process, the first thing to do is get a benchmark with the way it's all set up the way you have it, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And then as you suggested, or I think was hinting at, then maybe you start adding things back one by one. Repeat the speed test. If any adding any device causes that speed, and you could also try the speed from the other devices, like the Windows machine. Right. Like if your Windows machine is a dog and your Mac is going lickety split, then uh, well, what would that tell you? Well, a virus, as you pointed out, or some yeah. other. Yeah, or something. Yeah, anything. Some but, other thing. But yeah, you got to methodically go through this because unless you got a fancy pants, uh, you know, network monitoring system, which I guess is another way to go about this that identifies, you know, rogue devices or devices that are freaking out. Yeah. But you'd really want like SNMP stacks and all the devices and stuff like that. Maybe you could, but that's a bit. We'll have to look at at solutions like that at, at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So I would, I would turn, you know, get, get your initial benchmark, then turn everything off and try it again. Then uh, if it still seems slower, if nothing has changed, then plug uh, directly in, turn off Wi-Fi. And, ah, good one. Right. And then uh, take the router out of the mix and just plug your computer directly into your cable modem or, or broadband device now, the important thing to remember there is you've got to reboot the oftentimes you have to reboot the cable modem when you're switching the device that's actually plugged into it. Right, uh, right. You got to power cycle it. So because it 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 sort of marries itself to the first device it sees and then it ignores everything else in most cases. Mm-hmm. So uh, that would be it. And then compare those numbers that you're getting from, you know, whatever uh, speed test site you use to what you're supposed to get from your provider. If you see, you know, and if at any point you see that it just got a whole lot faster, you know, if it got faster when you turned everything else off or, or got faster when you pulled your router out of the mix and connected directly. Well, now you know where the problem is. Now, you know, you know, okay, we've narrowed down all the way to here. Nothing changed. We made this one last change. Boom. Everything got better. Great. Now I know it's a bad router or it's a bad this or, you know, whatever that, 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 that's really I mean, that's all like all we got, right? Mm-hmm. That's all we got. That's all we got. Uh, all right. So let's do, uh, well, let's listen to what Steve has to say. Steve has a, a public service announcement, and, uh, and he asks a question. Hey, David, John. This is Steve from Seattle again. Wondering if you guys use version tracker. Wondering uh, if you have any idea what's going on with them because their uh, software has been uh, failing miserably and their service has uh, been unresponsive and there's been no updates. Uh, 
since the uh, company was bought up by CNET last year. So there's a lot of people um, who are um, missing the functionality of this, and I've stopped my subscription, unfortunately, because it's not being fixed. Wondering if you know anything. Thanks in advance. Keep up the good work. Bye-bye. Uh, so, no, I I don't. I did use Version Tracker. Um, it, not We're not talking about the web service right now. We're talking about the application that you can right. buy and, and subscribe to. And I did use it initially when it first came out. And then, honestly, I found it was just information overload. It was constantly telling me, oh, you get this to update or that to update. It's like, yeah, you know, um, really not going to worry about that right now. Um, but I can see where that would be valuable for someone that isn't just downloading software all day long and, and, you know, messing with different things. So, uh, but no, I don't use it. Uh, I do know, like you said, they were acquired by CNET and it's a shame to hear that that's kind of fallen by the wayside that that was, uh, I know it was something that a lot of people like to use, but, uh, but a, I wanted to make sure everyone knew that at least uh, Steve and, and some others that he had found on the forums were, were having some trouble with that service. And also uh, John, I think you have, a, uh, a a potential alternative, uh, or a, a I think so. Yeah. So this is something I found a while ago, and it's been evolving uh, slowly. They are now at preview point eight version, but it's called AppFresh. Okay. And what it is, it's an application that'll scour your hard drive, look at the versions of software, compare it to a database that it knows about, and the database that they use at this point, or mainly, is uh, uh, IUseThis.com. I think if you just type in iusethis.com, you can get a web interface. But also, it kind of has a little community in that you can you know, register yourself as a user of software and get a feel for what's hot and what a lot of people are using and stuff like that. So, um, And actually, oh, it does integrate with Apple Software Update, Sparkle, Microsoft Auto Update, Adobe Updater. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So it looks like it uses multiple services. So, yeah, they've been evolving this product. And last I saw, it was free. Well, it's a preview point eight, so they're not going to charge for that. But... Um, Check it out. Cool. I think it's a fine alternative, and uh, and the price is right. Which is free, right? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, yeah, it's a good price. Cool. Cool. Um, I think that's, uh, I think that's all we wrote. Right? Well, we didn't write it. That's all we said. That's, that's all, all we got to say. That's all we're going to say. <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay, so let's talk about how to contact us, John. Uh, do we have to? Yeah. So, yeah. my favorite is when you pick up the phone, your iPhone, your landline phone, your Battlefield phone, <laughs> and you dial 206-666-GEEK, which is... 4335, and then you can email us at feedback at macgeekgab.com. That's feedback at macgeekgab.com. What is it, John? Feedback at macgeekgab.com. That's right. You can Skype to MacGeekGab. Allegedly. Allegedly. Somebody said they had trouble with it. I had somebody else that say it worked fine. I don't... I, we try. I don't know what else to do. Um... What else? Yeah, you can visit MacObserver.com slash podcast to find the uh, show notes and uh, and all that good stuff. Mm. You can you can find John and I on Twitter. You might as well mention this. There's so many of you that uh, that, that like to follow it's us crazy, that way. crazy, man. Yeah, it's great. These people are following me. Yeah, so if you're a Twitter user or even if you're not, go to Twitter.com slash uh, John F. Braun for John or Twitter.com slash Dave Hamilton for me. And... Uh, 
And you can find us there. And then if you want, you can choose to follow us. And uh, and I think most of the time, we're uh, if we're online, happy to uh, answer replies and, and that sort of thing, too, if, uh, if we can. And then iTunes comments. We like. We love that. Mm-hmm. Love to check out the iTunes comments. They're always fun. iPhoneAlley.com is the home of Michael Johnston, who converts this show to AAC for us. He's also available on Twitter. Twitter.com slash Michael Johnston. Cashfly hosting at Cashfly.com. Provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes the W2 from Audio Engine, BB Edit 9 from Barebones Software, Disc Label and PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac, and Notebook from Circus Ponies. All through the, uh, of course, the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. Anything else to say uh, before we uh, before we move on here, John? Um, do you follow Sockington? <laughs> no, my 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 wife follows Sockington and and loves uh, Sockington. So yeah, he's he, he's a cat and he has eleven thousand followers. So that's insane. Sockington, he's pretty pretty witty for a cat. <laughs> I just I don't know what to say to that. You can, oh, you can follow uh, Mac Observer, twitter.com slash Mac Observer. Oh, you get all our headlines fed right into your Twitter feed. There we got the Twitter out of our system. Yeah, we did.